You guys all ready to get started? We're all good to go here. Everything's solid. How many times can we use the word solid? Ah, it's very solid. Ah, that's a solid explanation. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. You are the creator of Solid. It's a new JavaScript framework, not a meta framework. We talk about lots of things built on React and Vue and Svelte here, but this is really aimed more being a competitor to those types of frameworks and taking influence from them and also taking direction away from them in things that you think could be improved. There's going to be a lot to get in here. It's a very dense technical topic and I've listened to a bunch of other podcasts you've been doing and really enjoyed them. When I heard your PodRocket interview, especially, I was like, we need to get this guy on the show. So you have a long in-depth history in programming that you talk about on PodRocket. So I'd like to hear a little bit about that story and then we could point people to that show to kind of get the full deep dive. But I know like knockouts are really important part of the story and this whole idea of reactive programming. So you can just kind of let us know like where you're coming from here and what are some of the ideas that are forming this new framework that you're building. As you mentioned, Knockout.js was a big part of it. I had in the past programmed in some backend web frameworks, but I got my start way back in the late 90s in kind of just a pure JavaScript environment. So when I got the chance to work on the front end again in kind of a pure JavaScript way, I was really excited to, and Knockout just happened to be the, the thing that was there. And it introduced me to a lot of the concepts of reactive programming that would go on to further shape my perspective. Things like the way you have these primitives that compose I just loved it so much that I never wanted to give it up, you know. So when some other alternatives came out, like React primarily, I just wanted to keep on programming the way I had always with Knockout. React had kind of, at that time, it wasn't like the modern class API, but they had like kind of a return to life cycles and stuff, which is what I'd been used to in my .NET days. And I just was like, no, no, I, I like organizing things with like little primitives, like React hooks kind of concept. And I like building behaviors around that and function components and this whole kind of thing. Knockout had a lot of those elements. And I just kept on going along that path. My old company stayed on Knockout actually all the way till 2019, but it was a big part of my design approach to Solid. I wanted to kind of recreate something like Knockout, but more modern. Especially when it became clear that kind of Knockout was not being as maintained as much anymore and slowing down in its development. So yeah, it's a huge influence, even more so than React. Although over the years, I've come to respect and uh, learn a lot from React. But Knockout was really the starting point with these kind of reactive primitives. Yeah, let's start there with just this term reactive, because if you go to the SolidJS website, SolidJS.com, this description is Solid is a purely reactive library. It was designed from the ground up with a reactive core. It's influenced by reactive principles. And it's like, okay, I think the reactive part is pretty important here. This is a really confused term now, and I definitely blame React for this because as far as I know, when we use this term reactive, we're not talking about what React does. I think it's more akin to what something like RxJS does with like observables, but I honestly don't know anything about RxJS beyond like high level descriptions. So I'd be curious if I'm at all close to the puck with that idea or like what this term reactive really means. Yeah, coming up with some of that kind of marketing website material stuff was fun. And I even poked fun of the repetition on reactive myself a bit. We were trying to like find the right adjectives to describe this thing. Because you're right, it is ambiguous. I've actually written blog posts like specifically on this topic. And even the conclusion of those 
aren't the best because from like a 10,000 feet away perspective on reactivity, all it is, is the concept of a sort of declarative programming where if A equals B plus C, when B or C changes, A always updates. That's like the most basic idea of it. It's like a spreadsheet. But the truth of the matter is you could kind of describe almost any UI library by that. All the declarative ones, all the ones kind of based off these HTML binding looking things basically have aspects of that. So having React bundled into that group isn't terribly unfair. But on the other side, you have a lot of academic formalized definitions and stuff. RxJS and actually what we do in Solid is actually also slightly different, which doesn't make things easy. And I think that's actually also where a lot of the muddle conversation goes, because both of those systems at their core have this primitive, some call it an observable, we call it a signal, some call it atom. When it changes, it has subscribers and they update. The primary difference in flavor, let's say, of reactivity is something like RxJS is about a stream, so to speak. You push updates on and it goes through that stream through a bunch of transformations from start to end. And basically it always tells you what ends up at the other end. And there's some technical terms for it. Like it's not FRP, which makes things even more confusing. And I don't want to go too far there. That's functional reactive programming. Yeah, but it's technically functional programming and reactive programming. Actually, the guy from CycleJS, Andre Saltz, was like, I'm not apologizing for using the term FRP or functional reactive programming because it is functional and reactive programming and, you know, whatever. The difference on the, the solid side or the MobX side, even view composition API, is it's not about streams. Instead of thinking about a stream, like where you, you just kind of float it in and you kind of get it pushed to you on the other end, these are based around primitives, also sometimes called observables, are based around, they're almost more like data event emitters with a value. It's tricky kind of perfectly described. For us who are just like pretty common React developers, you do a good job of actually displaying this just in the code itself. Because when you create a signal, you use it for account variable. When I see that in your example, I think, okay, this is kind of like a use state. So as a React developer, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's a way to have a value have that value change and how to track that changing value in your UI. Exactly. That's the key difference. It is a value. You can pull, you can ask for that value at any time. It inverts the model. When you have something like RxJS and streams, you end up piping. It's like any kind of stream stuff you might have done, maybe a node or whatever, where you kind of build these chains that you pipe. With the type of reactivity you find in frameworks like Solid, because of the way that it tracks, it's inverted it. It's like the spreadsheet again. You get to write the simple expressions like a double count depends on count, essentially. It's done with functions and they look a lot like hooks, funny enough, but you write your code as if you're asking for a value and writing normal expressions for those values rather than having to like pipe everything into like a stream. I feel like my eyes have just glazed over a little and a lot of words have been said that do I even truly grasp the core of it? Maybe. The biggest thing that I've noticed about these things is JSX. And what is JSX? React didn't make JSX, or did they? I don't know. But it's a style that you've used, but you use it completely different to how React uses it to a certain extent, don't you? JSX was built at Facebook. It was influenced by XHP, which was a PHP extension that did essentially the same thing. So Facebook has a PHP monolith very famously and they essentially took the ideas they already had built around 
PHP extension language and kind of port those to JavaScript. That's kind of the history as far as I know it. Yeah, definitely. And what was good about that is Facebook always kind of viewed it as an open spec, which I kind of liked. Like it wasn't like, even though it came out and helped React and was kind of came out sort of for React and that still influences what gets merged into JSX, not a lot has been updated in almost, I'd say seven years. There's actually a GitHub all about JSX separate from React where there's proposals and that whole thing. But the key thing is they only defined a language spec. Because of that, it meant other tools could be built on it. Things like Babel could build parsers and code highlighting tools and TypeScript has something they can look at. Even though TypeScript is a little bit trickier because it is kind of heavily influenced by React. Because of that, it was really easy for me to approach. I could just go find existing parsing tooling and just go, okay, how do I want to transform this? I basically started by just writing a Babel plugin. It had all the syntax and everything available to me. It made it really easy. And then once I had that, all the existing tooling just automatically worked. I didn't have to worry about language server. I don't think it's aware, like in an IDE, to do all that syntax highlighting and auto-completes and stuff. There, there's basically like a server running in the background. If you wrote custom template DSL like Svelte or Vue, you basically have to like build your own version of that, like bridge it so that it can handle things. So that's why TypeScript took a while to come there and all that. For the case of Solid, I basically, like I actually don't know how any of that stuff works very much. Uh, I've been learning a bit more because of my uh, day job. I've, I've had a chance to kind of dip into that. So are there like solid extensions like and getting syntax high? Like That's the thing. We just all use the React ones. Oh, okay. The only thing that's special is that Babel plugin, but that all happens after all the tools have had their, their job, like in terms of syntax highlighting, because they just read the initial ASTs basically with the types and the JSX in it and all that stuff. And they don't really care how we transform it. It makes life incredibly a lot easier. I mean, there's a, there's a few places where we get kind of snagged up or I've had to, you know, wait for support to come to TypeScript or something specific things because all the tooling has to support all the features like TypeScript didn't have namespaces on JSX for a while, did some weird stuff. But for the most part, it's been built for me. That was my biggest thing because when I hear it's a framework by itself that's not react i instantly think okay what's it going to look like and then i look at view for example i'm like okay this is very different to react yeah it's still using the same kind of angled brackets etc but it's very different when when i looked at the like the demos and quickly played around with one it literally looks like react so it looks so similar to me it looks like it almost looks like Preact, for example, as like, it's kind of React, but it's not React, ooh. But then you look at things like Spell and Vue and they're like, no, we are completely different. So that's why I brought up the question of the JSX is because I think it's so easy to transfer knowledge if you know how these things work. For example, like JSX, you can instantly go from React to Solid and literally understand how majority of it works. But for example, Vue and Svelte are quite similar because they use very similar paradigms and things like that. So I think it's super interesting that it's kind of like an alternative to React. And is that what you've seen a lot of like people adopt it for? The choice of JSX was very intentional. The funny thing is, like, I was on those t custom DSLs. Like, Knockout was kind of on that angle. And that's where Vue and Salt sort of came from a bit, you know, the reactivity. But I felt like I looked at it and I'm like, I 
got why people ended up migrating off those early reactive libraries like Knockout and went to React. And I was like, is there something we can learn from React? JSX actually is fairly representative of the types of things that I encourage with Solid, which is that same idea of composition and building. Because the components are basically just functions, the way you can just like say, create your own control flow, like you can literally just use JavaScript to construct your views. It was really, really important to me. I didn't realize it as the tooling thing I actually came to appreciate later that wasn't completely why I went there initially, even though that's what saved me in the sense of not having to do all that extra work. But it was actually because I wanted the expressiveness, like template DSLs have certain limits, usually the way they're designed, which is good. It actually makes it easier to analyze and easier to optimally compile. But on the other hand, there's certain things that are clunkier around composition. You know, there are just natural places where you want things like render props, where you abstract over a for loop or some kind of layout control or something like that. And JSX is really powerful powerful to be able to define those kind of behaviors, abstract them, and then that be your component. Whereas most templating languages introduce a new syntax for it. And then that syntax usually, while maybe extendable in some of them, isn't composable. You have to change your syntax when you go from iterating over a basic list to making a paginated component. And that's why JSX is, I feel like, really important part. Like even if in some future we decide to, you know, use a different templating approach with Solid, JSX has actually a lot of really good benefits, just the way that it works. And, uh, you know, you'll see this common pattern with Solid, just looking at things reacted and, you know, maybe it was envious at first because it's like, why don't my, you know, framework have it? And just kind of applying some of those principles, because I feel like those are the learnings, the philosophical stuff, like the unidirectional flow, rather than the technology. Some frameworks are like, we don't like the certain elements of the developer experience, and they kind of go over here, and they're like, we're very different. I like the philosophy and design design React. I just was like, no, we're going to change the technology. Yeah, that's what we need to get into next, because I agree with Chris that the JSX stuff is really cool, and it's what really hooked me in when I just first started looking at the docs, because like I really like JSX. Like I love writing JSX. It's the same reason I'm excited for Slinkity, because it lets you just write JSX in like a, a markdown file. It begs the question, though, of like, well, what, what's the point, though? Why shouldn't I just write React? So I think we really need to get into what is the actual problem this thing is solving? Like what problem did you see with it? And what have you done differently that makes this a viable solution to whatever issue you had with the other stuff? I just wanted to add to it. Why don't you use a virtual DOM? What makes the virtual DOM the virtual DOM? I thought it was JSX personally, but looks like it isn't. Okay, you got me on two questions there. Um, I'm going to start with the um, React side of thing, the first question. The truth of the matter is, before 2018, before Hooks, React wasn't doing it for me. Every time I went in, I was trying to bring like Knockout. I actually brought Knockout into React or I'd use MobX, which is fine. This does tie into the virtual DOM question a little bit. I like the primitives. I like composing it from that kind of UIX perspective. And I know a lot of, or at least a handful of libraries that were kind of doing stuff like this. And then when React released Hooks, they just were like, okay, well, I guess my job is done. React has changed gears and released Hooks and now they have their own primitives. But for me, that actually was what got me excited because the second I saw Hooks, I was like, I realized that there would be a difference in the way that they execute because they're still thinking in this like component re-render, top-down re-render. And the reason for that is the virtual DOM, which I can get to into a minute. But because of that mentality, you needed stuff like use callback. You needed stuff like using refs for things other than DOM elements because you needed ways of storing references to things that were mutable, essentially, because the whole function re-executes, you basically throw away everything you created in there. So that you needed ways to hoist it out of the components. React 
hooks model is has all the like composition, you know, the replacement for mixins, that ability to build stuff. But its model is sometimes a little bit unnatural feeling. And you 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 know what I'm talking about if you've ever used, as I said, use ref for anything other than a DOM element. You kind of get into these kind of fun places where you have like effects talking to each other and they have to pass that data down to use ref because if you state that would cause a re-render. And once you get into this zone of trying to figure out what is actually rendering on each execution and what's outside and what's in the closure, it becomes a lot messier. And the thing with the reactive approach, and Vue, to be fair, has this element too, with their setup functions in Vue 3. But essentially, you just set up everything once. You declare almost, you make your data declarative is the best way to put it. You actually say like, this is how the data is derived, what the behavior is. So it's not only about grouping and encapsulating stuff into like hooks, but also being able to just go, this is the rule, set it up once, and then every time it updates, it will apply. And to be fair, that sounds like hooks as well, except hooks, you have to be aware of the fact that there's a world outside of your hook, so to speak, that reruns and you have to whitelist changes and stuff. Honestly, some people get really fixated on that dependency array. In Sol, you don't have the dependency array, but it's not just that dependency array that you have on, on the hooks. It's actually the fact that you have more stuff to kind of keep in your head. You can't just look at it and be like, oh, this is a simple program. Here's my state that I declared. How does it update? In React, you have to be kind of conscious once the component gets any level of complexity that things are re-rendering over and over again is the best way I can put it. I don't know if you have any questions about the first part before I go into the second part. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah, okay. So why make it re-render over and over again? You might be asking, like, wh why go through this model? Why hasn't React just done this? Why didn't they take this approach? And again, this comes down to the virtual DOM largely because virtual DOM is a two-pass renderer, a little bit technical, but essentially when your components run, they create another tree that is not the DOM. And then after they're done updating or changing, building parts of that tree, then they're able to diff it against the previous version of the tree and then just apply the DOM updates. But it means that essentially everything's kind of built around this idea that the component renders are throwaway, that you can just re-render, build the new tree, and you always have this diffing to solve your problems. And for that reason, React kind of views all rendering, the end user rendering as a pure function, essentially something that doesn't have side effects, unless you use effect, like a way of calling it out where they kind of pull it out. But essentially that's why this model, they need everything to kind of conceptually top down render. And in some ways that's really simple because it's like in the way Redux is simple in that it's like this pure kind of explanation view is function of state, right? Which is really quite nice to explain high level. But another alternate reality, one that isn't based off purity, but based on mutation and side effects, which is kind of prescribed to in solid. What if all rendering is a side effect, essentially? It's a slightly different view and maybe getting a little bit too on the academic side. But in solid, we render our components once, as I said, to create these relationships. And then after that point, it's only like conceptually the hooks that rerun. So you don't have the stale closures. Because we only render once, we don't need to create a virtual DOM, essentially. When we create those JSX elements, because we're running once, we can actually create the real DOM nodes on that first pass. We just go create the DOM nodes and then wrap all those updates in our effect calls so that whenever the data updates, and this is that reactive system coming to play, it just changes the DOM directly. So there's no virtual tree that diffs against another virtual tree and then patches it. Instead, it's like events somebody changes a data point over here, updates that count, and then it goes, oh, who subscribed to me? Well, it's this one little div down here that has text, update the text. It's hard to beat that on pure performance. Yeah, and this is 
reminds me a lot of when I was first learning Svelte. I was learning Svelte pretty much as I was kind of learning React at the same time. So I was doing React in my bootcamp and watching all these other open source things happening. I was really interested in Svelte. And I would listen to like Rich and other people explain it and it would make no damn sense to me like, like whatsoever. And it was like, I know all these words combine to make sense, but it's like, I don't really quite get it conceptually, but I could look at the code and I could look at the output and I could look at build times. I could look at all these metrics that were pointing me in the right direction, being like, this is lighter, this is faster, this is more performant. And it was just obvious. So it was like, if you don't quite get the theoretical stuff here, I would say you can avoid getting too hung up on it by looking at benchmarks, which is why I really appreciate the amount of work you put into benchmarks and just making benchmarks part of this conversation. Because supposedly we're engineers. This is the only engineering field I know where people don't bother measuring things. I know so many people who are web developers and have never bothered to measure all sorts of different metrics within their own site. And so you put a lot of work into this and your website has two main metrics that I'd like to get into. So one of them is the just JS framework benchmark where you compare browser performances across different frameworks. And then another one, which is isomorphic UI benchmark, which is the raw server rendering speed. So let's get into both these benchmarks and what do they mean and how solid compares to other frameworks. Benchmarks always need to be taken with a grain of salt to see what they're testing. But the truth of the matter is, yeah, I do spend a lot of time with the benchmarks and even modifying benchmarks to try and test different things. Like I've written several articles over the years where I've actually taken the JS Framework benchmark and changed some aspect of it. Like what if we forced... JS Framework Benchmark, for those who don't know, is basically rendering a large table with a bunch of common table-like things like selecting rows and swapping rows and deleting rows and updating rows. It's basically like a giant to-do MVC at the scale of a thousand or 10,000 rows, which people will be like, I'm never going to put 10,000 rows on a page. And, and they're right. Maybe the JS Framework Benchmark is getting to the end of its usefulness on that side. Well, just interject with real quickly that part of benchmarking is to not have a single benchmark, is to have multiple benchmarks that you then can compare to each other. Definitely. And that's one of the reasons why the JS Framework benchmark is so good. There's actually nine performance tests, five memory tests, initial load tests. As far as a gamut for JS Frameworks, it can be more useful for authors in terms of figuring that out. I was saying for the end user, though, I think over time our browsers have gotten faster. And JS Framework benchmark has like mobile simulations, th CPU throttling. It tries to make things like a, you know, a slow phone. So it's not like we're just like, oh, this is just for desktop. There's an understanding in terms of performance of, you know, lower end devices. But even there, we're getting to a point where both the frameworks have gone a little bit faster over the years and browsers have gone more efficient. Even the bottom line of the devices have probably too. But essentially, it's very good at testing all those different things for client side rendering. And it's a giant to do MVC or to do app from a certain perspective. And it's great. There are 100 libraries in there. Most of the submissions are actually by maintainers of the libraries themselves. It's a long held tradition since this thing was first put together in 2016. When Vue 3.2 came out, Evan made the PR himself. I actually wrote the React Hooks implementation, but Dan Abramoff chipped in and helped me figure out exactly what I was doing right or wrong. I'm a bit more involved with others in there. I also did the Celt 3 implementation as well. And again, reached out to the community to make sure there's details there because you need kind of both expertise in the framework to be able to do this sort of benchmark and understanding of the benchmarks themselves to kind of get the best representation. But almost every framework's there. As I said, all the core maintainers have been involved at least, whether making the PRs themselves or chipped in. So in terms of clients, 
accounts on benchmark, it's hard to, to do much better. Solid itself on the benchmark, it does quite well. It's put against vanilla JS, like the most hand optimized vanilla, no library implementation we could possibly make. And that's like the normalized 1.0 on the benchmark. And then every other framework is kind of put up against that. Solid, I first added it in 2018, I guess. The benchmark was actually the reason I open source solid in the first place. I was trying to build it for my startup as a project. And then I was like, oh, let's open source it so I can participate in this benchmark. Solid kind of hovers around the 1.05 average geometric mean over vanilla. I guess it's about 1.07. Things fluctuate over time within about like 5 to 7% slower than vanilla on average. And then context for listeners who aren't looking at the website right now, you then have Svelte, which is 1.27, Vue, which is 1.54, and React, which is is 1.93. So that's where you can kind of see how these different ones compare to each other. And then you have things like Preact, which is in between Svelte and Vue, and then Inferno, which a lot of people probably don't know, actually scores just after yours with 1.2. I do need to update that from what you're saying, because Vue 3.2 was a big change that now Vue and Svelte are like right next to each other. Ah, okay. My biggest question I think I have with regard to benchmarks is, why do they matter? And it's such an interesting question because I've never came across someone say like, this web app is super slow. But so many people say, this web app is super slow. Is it because it's coded badly? Is it because the database is far away? What's the real, in terms of you who spent a lot of time benchmarking, what's the real things that you say that is down to benchmarks? Is it responsiveness on a click of a button on a massive web page? Is it how fast it renders? Benchmarks don't capture that. And that's why I'm saying they were mostly more valuable for the framework authors to kind of get you know, remove any kind of extra bottleneck. On occasion, it is possible for badly written code in any paradigm to perform badly. A reactive program that binds too much data and loses directionality can cause UIs to explode because they update something and unintentionally cause stuff to go off and recompute in cycles, essentially, because this data updates this data that updates this data. That was a problem we had in the early 2010s sometimes. A VDOM library, again, can cause a bunch of unnecessary re-renders and you can like re-render the tree just to trigger something to re-render the tree again to trigger something to re-render the tree. So sometimes there are some framework like aspects related to bad code, but usually I find that the bigger problem is just not properly considering things architecturally like around waterfalls and like async data loading and basically not really realizing where those kind of re-render situations, but essentially where a bunch of things just start cascading. It's very rare, almost never, that like a single render is going to catch you up. As interesting as it is that Solid can render, you know, a thousand rows or I forget what the current benchmark metric is, but like 30 milliseconds faster than React or something, you know, that's not what you're going to capture. I have seen these things add up, but this only would matter if your code was written perfectly. Like the framework overhead here is actually not as much as one would think. So most of this is just about efficiency of the tool and you still have to use the tool properly. I think that's really important here, which is why there's certain aspect of like skepticism on a lot of benchmarks. I mean, I do test different things. Like, as I mentioned, one of the ones I tested was trying to put as many components on the page, just trying to see how components could scale. And again, different approaches do scale differently. So this all kind of adds into like trying to come up with the most performant design for the tool. And maybe 
on you know large apps, you might hit situations which aren't like the benchmark, but involve still lots of components or lots of elements. You know, you, you might be not re- rendering a, th- a thousand row table, but maybe you are still rendering a th- three thousand elements on the page just because of what the layout is. So there is a limit to benchmarks, definitely. But as I said, for a framework author, they're invaluable. And I completely agree that they are because it gives you a way to reference your libraries in any way. The biggest thing is that, as Anthony said, when he was learning React, he learned Vel at the same time and just didn't understand it. I think there's so many things where if you drop someone into this ecosystem of web dev and you said, okay, you need to build something, they'll probably just look up what would they look up first? Probably get to a Medium article that's five years old saying React is the way to go. And then they go, yep, virtual DOM. No clue what it does, but I guess it's needed. Hooks and side effects, no clue about it. Literally guessing your way through development. And I kind of feel like a lot of your first two, three years of React, you kind of don't understand how it actually works. A lot of it's very... Like, yeah, I use this use effects thing and it re-renders something in the bracket. I guess that does that. But you don't truly know why it's doing it, how it's doing it. If you know what I mean, there's so much stuff that's like abstracted away. And recently I coded a widget for my company. You know, one of these things that everybody has like Intercom, Hotjar, that has really opened my eye on JavaScript. Why? Because it was plain JavaScript. For example, how do you bind an event to a button. If you ask a React developer to bind an event to a button, they'll instantly probably say, oh, an on-click event. It's like, well, kind of, but that's not how plain JavaScript works. You need to actually bind it to listen to the event. And it's all these abstractions and abstractions that Anthony's just put an article in that I've not read, but it's so crazy to think how far React has changed JavaScript to this point where you say it's JavaScript, but it's not JavaScript. Spell versus React is so different, I think, personally. And I've recently hopped across all of them to then make examples of this is using that plugin in Vue. This is using that plugin in Svelte. It's been crazy to the point where I'm like, yeah, the React implementation is completely different to the one in Svelte or Vue because React is this whole different beast and talks about everything differently and you need to use its paradigms. Aren't you glad you finally used something that wasn't React, Chris? Kind of. But at the same time, it's, it's a bit too scary. And that article I dropped was um, by Jared Palmer. He has a fairly famous blog post called React is Becoming a Black Box. I think that conversation a lot is kind of coming to like the hooks dilemma, which was like hooks being like the savior for composition for React, but also being the thing that muddied the water. And the second anyone saw hooks, I also wrote an article a while ago about this. That's when Svelte and even Vue kind of woke up. They're like, okay, if people are willing to take this model with React, we know we can do it in a way that makes way more sense for people and way easier. That's because of reactivity. That's the same thing that Solid has, essentially. That reactivity makes makes that hooks model a lot easier. That being said, I think there's an interesting dilemma between like the getting started and the later on in your experience with JavaScript framework dilemma, because you right at the beginning, you want that stuff abstracted away from you, right? And then the challenge is that like later on, you don't, you kind of are like, I want control. I want to like explicitly know what I need. React 
as I got more experience in web dev, the more I liked React. And I know not everyone follows the same trail. I liked how explicit things were. I don't necessarily agree with the model and it's like can be really complicated at times, but I liked that I could control to such a degree what I was getting out of it. That's kind of a lot of the elements that I took out of it, right? Because the challenge is like, I know this from working on also on Marco, which is another JavaScript framework that's more like Svelte on the side of things. You can bake stuff into the language and it will make things easier, but it's not like the moving pieces underneath are any less complicated. There's always going to be like a tear with the abstraction somewhere. Like React's hooks in function components look nothing like JavaScript when you're thinking them. You're like, why would I ever, ex like you look at this component, you declare a bunch of variables. Why would you ever expect it to rerun again? On the other token, perfect examples, like why would I expect to say, write a function that writes something that updates state, like in a click handler or sorry, write something that reads state, a better example, and put in my template. Why would I expect if I move it out of my template and put in a function that suddenly stops tracking? There's places where there's walls to the different approaches and different trade-offs. For the beginner developer, you're never going to hit those. Not right away, like the use ref example I gave you. But when you come advanced, you know, and you've learned more of these things, you kind of like, Oh, yeah, of course, it's this. But all those thises are an accumulation of what you've learned over the years. It's been one of the challenges with Solid because maybe my target has always been intermediate to advanced developers, which is very unusual for JavaScript framework. Vue and Svelte very much like to say, like, we are easy. We just made HTML and CSS, like, you know, stuff that looks like it. You can just pick it up if you know that. I find that deceiving a little bit because I know that it doesn't actually work that way. And for me, this is what I liked about React. I was like, you walk into React and you're like, oh, these are your six hooks. Learn them well, and this is all you will ever need. That kind of mentality, it's different priorities and it's made it challenging. I kind of on our core team, the guy, Dan, who's in charge of the documentation and teaching kind of side of things, he's been rewriting my docs to try to make them like easier to approach and stuff. He's a view guy and he's always loved view. And he, he's like, this is an interesting challenge because he's like, we have to teach this completely different than view because view is all like, here's a couple things, don't worry about it. And it will progress with you. Whereas with Solid, and I guess it's probably true of React too, it's like, here's the appendix of the things, all the things you need. And here's maybe a bunch of recipes or best practices. It's very different and possibly daunting for the beginner or, you know, people new to web development. It just, it's tricky for me because I've been doing this for such a long time that when I see them, I see the same thing. So when instantly I just want to cut through the, the tape, you know, I just want to just let me make it work. But this is coming from a framework author. I think Vue has kind of been going through this dilemma too, because Vue wants us to be progressive and scale. So composition API, they now have that, are bringing that power to Vue on the upper end. But at the same time, they have a new ref sugar to be more like Svelte. They want to cover the whole spectrum because as you make things more complicated, more control, it's harder for beginners. And they're kind of spreading out their approach that way. Svelte has done an amazing job of showing people how easy it is to get into web dev. It reminded me actually Knockout a little bit for its day was, was like that. So it's really cool to see that. But it's also interesting to see that there's different priorities here. I would actually like to get a little bit into Marco. You mentioned it really quickly. What is Marco and how does it fit into this whole conversation? Because you're kind of like a double framework author. I joined Marco team just over a year ago. And it was because they saw my work on Solid, actually, that I ended up joining up because they're in process of rewriting good part of their client-side framework. They were a VDOM library. But Marco is very different than, say, React or another VDOM library. It was made for multi-page apps at its core. Like you can use it for a single page app, but it was made for pages that basically render on the server once because it's built 
with optimizations built in to send the least amount of JavaScript to the browser. It was made for eBay, for e-commerce. It's all about page loads and making sure that when you get a referral from a search, that that page loads as fast as you can from you know any device throughout the world. And in that sense, you might've heard of newer stuff like Astro, right? It, you let you build React or Vue for what called islands, where basically in an MPA, a multi-page app, you can view most of the page as static. And it's only the pieces of that are interactive that needs to go to the browser. The reason for that is because you know the page is going to get re-rendered on the server. Like you don't have to worry about rendering stuff on routes. And while this gets rid of those nice routing transitions and people might lament that, depending on the type of your site you want, you don't need all that JavaScript. It can be significant savings if you only send the JavaScript for like the few buttons or widgets you need on your page. And Marco created eBay back in 2013 time period, basically built from day one with this in mind. You'd write your app like a normal app. You just write all your code all your components, and then the compiler would automatically figure out what doesn't need to get sent to the browser. As I said, React Server Components is another one. And after we've been seeing this kind of way of manually opting in to this kind of idea of like, this is code that needs to be sent to the browser. But with Marco, it was actually the compiler. They knew that they wanted to do better. So with Solid, I've done a lot of work on fine-grained reactivity, I call it, where our renderer is pinpoint instead of by component. And I basically got rid of the components. And components were the blocker for hydration in a lot of these approaches. Essentially, you'd go, which components do I want to send to the browser? And this has this challenge that when you have stuff that could be static, never re-rendered again on the client, below those components, you have to send them to the browser too, because they're stateful. Like you're not smart enough. There's no way breaking up the component. You don't know that you can just not send that JavaScript to render to the browser. So taking a bit of the mentality and approaches that I'd done with Solid to make everything pinpoint and not component-based and applying it to the problem of hydration, that's basically how I ended up at Marco. We have a compiler that can go through all your code and determine exactly what control flows, which data bindings get sent to the browser and basically not shift the rest. And as I said, for something like eBay, this makes a huge chunk. We actually did a test a couple of years ago. We saw huge savings. Like, like, I mean, we already knew that was there, but we turned off partial hydration, it's called. We, we turned that off. And something like the core of eBay's homepage, when turned off, was 500 kilobytes gzipped. With partial hydration turned on, it was 70 kilobytes gzipped. With a multi-page app framework that loads the least amount of JavaScript, you have the ability to essentially ship fairly large pages and stuff for e-commerce sites. With basically the amount of JavaScript it would take to get started, like I think you, you're at almost 70 kilobytes if you get started on a React app. You got to like bring in the 42 kilobytes for React, React DOM, bring in your client-side router, that's another 10 kilobytes. You bring in your data fetching library, maybe bring in Redux. You're basically already at 60 some odd kilobytes gzipped before you even wrote a line of code. And for certain sites, the page load performance is important. That's the thing. So it's really interesting to see a completely different approach to frameworks kind of been here this whole time. Other things that Marco was really good at is streaming, stuff that's coming in React 18. Marco's been doing that since 2014 time period, streaming partials. And the reason, again, so important to Marco is that if you can stream the HTML all on that initial load, then you don't need JavaScript in the browser to actually handle the data fetching or the data rendering after the fact. If you're not familiar with streaming, what I mean is literally we start a request, it hits the server, it starts sending the HTML back while it's fetching your data on the server. And then for our out-of-order streaming, we'll actually render the placeholders in place and render the page and then keep that connection open. And then as the data comes back in, we'll actually flush out the part that goes in those placeholders and a script tag to just insert them in place. So even if your app hasn't hydrated yet, hasn't loaded the JavaScript at that point, we can basically provide skeleton screens and data content loading 
without even the JavaScript bundle being present, because it just kind of all comes in on this initial HTML stream. And because we know that it's, again, only rendered on the server, we don't even need to send the JavaScript for those components. It's a very interesting and different approach for highly optimized stuff. And it, as I said, it opened up my mind for SSR. It'll be interesting to see other frameworks apply those pieces. So I went on a bit of a tangent here. No, this, this is great stuff. Very great stuff. Chris, you have a question? I've seen you've been working on a Vite plugin for Solid. Can you tell us more about it? Because earlier you said about a Babel plugin. Is this like a replacement for the Babel plugin? Is this an alternative? What's your thoughts on Vite? This uses the Babel plugin. I like Vite a lot. Mostly because Vite gives us the building blocks so that anyone can build a meta framework. That's essentially the way I look at it. I know people can build applications with Vite. This plugin is a key part of that. We use it in all our starter templates. As someone building a meta framework with Vite, Slinkity, I agree. <laughs> Right. So like, this is really, really quite cool. And I wasn't sure I'd ever personally get into this like meta framework thing. I like working on the core mechanisms. I like working on like rendering and benchmarking and concurrency and like reactivity. I just started building the pieces I need. I knew I knew I would need a router. I knew I'd need like different pieces of the equation here. And what essentially happened was I at one point I was like, okay, people don't know how to put these together. We're going to need like some higher level, better starter. And SSR is too complicated. There's too many different modes, especially when you add things like streaming and inside and different platforms that do and don't support streaming and all this stuff. There's too many different variations. And I was like, how can we put this all together? And I actually started with Snowpack because I was like, okay, they have a solution for bundling SSR, but it felt very manual. And I was like, okay, well, we'll get there eventually. And then V2 came out with the SSR piece and that, and it was like, I sometimes joke that Evan read my mind. It was just, it had all the pieces that I wasn't developing, like the things I'd pushed off where I was like, oh, I'll get to it eventually. I, you know, file-based routing, I don't, I don't really want to worry about that right now. I'll get to that when I actually have to build the configurations for like building the starter or whatever. Vite was like, oh, here you go, glob imports. Stuff like that was just kind of all built in. It made it really easy. So yeah, we have this plugin, which powers all our starter uh, templates. And actually I've, I've been using this as a basis of building a little bit more comprehensive SSR first starter. It's still very much alpha, which is called solid start, but essentially very influenced by SvelteKit. It uses adapters and it basically is an SSR development environment to makes it really easy to build SSR apps because it's challenging. I've seen both sides of it. I, it's, it makes sense to me that why there's frameworks when it's so challenging to kind of configure SSR. And it's kind of funny because on the Marco side, which has always been SSR first, they had to build all their own tools back in the day, support their own bundler, do all this stuff. Vite is one of the first ones we've seen that kind of actually allowed, we're using it for Marco as well, allowed us to kind of like displace our old tools, like finally have an equivalent. Marco team had built their own bundler called Lasso back in the day. And it was basically on-demand bundling, like at runtime, very similar to what Vite does with its non-bundling things. And this was important for us. And it seems like it's taken several years, but we're finally getting to a place where this tooling is going mainstream because people are finally working on these same problems around like SSR. So I think Vite is great. I think it's on the right track. It is a great tool and it's going to power a lot of things coming out in the next couple of years. Cool. You all good, Chris? My final question is, what's your biggest prediction where you think Solid is going to go in the next year? And what about the other frameworks where you think they're going to go that will differ from Solid potentially? That's an interesting question. I actually think that a lot of the goals, or at least the, the target, seems to be 
somewhat aligning. How we get there is going to be a little bit different, but it's been very clear the writing has been on the wall for a couple years now that server-side rendering and finding approaches to reduce JavaScript are things very much on people's minds. Really, though, it starts with with server-side rendering and approaches to that. And personally, I think streaming for server-side rendering, which is coming React 18, is really important in terms of performance. It lets you load content right away unblocking way in the browser and lets you get your data requests happen faster. Obviously, there's a whole slew of people working on static solutions, and that's why different frameworks are going to attack this differently. But for Solid, we have a basic version of streaming. My intention there is to actually kind of finish up that streaming story in the next several months. I think that is a keystone in terms of being able to look at, you know, ways to maybe separate what JavaScript we send to the browser, not things like React server components. I actually think for the single page app side of things, React's vision is actually in a pretty good place. Some people might disagree that there's like it's too complicated that there's too many like pieces and you can do it different ways. But generally, directionally, I think for single page apps, we're going to see work, you know, in that direction, improved hydration, essentially, and streaming is a big part. On the other side, though, I think it's gonna be really interesting, because I think that stuff like Astro is gaining some more steam. And I think that a lot of people are realizing, oh, maybe my e-commerce site doesn't need to be a single page app. You know, the old like, you know, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I think as much as there's been this desire to consolidate and be like, there's one way of doing everything, maybe there will be in the future. Maybe that's the ideal we're working towards. In the short term, we're going to see a lot of evolution on the um, multi-page app side, especially in areas like e-commerce, just because what it can deliver is so much more performance. That will influence what I want to see is that the frameworks kind of stay true to their vision and not going to get muddled too much, not going to be like, oh, I see them doing this over here. I'm going to try and copy a piece of it just so I can check it off. And I hope that's not where this goes. I think in the future, multi-page app and single-page app could merge into the same kind of application architecture as long as the approaches kind of develop out naturally in their own way and they don't make it muddled or more complicated for people coming in because honestly, there's a lot of details in SSR. And I think the truth of the matter is we know that the developer experience isn't up to snuff. Things like Next.js are aiding a lot, but there's still a lot of innovation happening in this space, which means more combinations, more challenges to face over the next couple of years. And I'm hoping that something new or some approach can kind of streamline this for for everyone because otherwise um, server-side rendering is definitely going to be a a tricky thing to tackle. And you see every framework working on it. And as I said, Svelte Kit is first class citizen for Svelte. We have Solid Start with Solid. I, I think SSR is on everyone's minds. We know there's a lot we can still do there to make it better. You quickly said about everyone doing all these things. And it's, for me, I felt the past three, four months is like, everyone used to say, oh, I need to build an e-commerce website. Which one should I use, Gatsby or Next? And now I feel like people are bludging people around the head going, use Astro or Slinkity or 11D. And you're like, what? I've been so used to just these two over here for ages. That's a whole other thing too. Like there's a bit, there is Astro, which is kind of walking this fine line, which I, I'm quite excited about. And, you know, Marco's also right on that kind of line. Even Quick, new framework from Misco, Heavy from Angular, is also kind of walking that kind of line. But uh, there's a challenge here because these things go in cycles, essentially, and most of the multi-page app backing is a little bit, I don't know the term, old school mentality. So when they see that, hey, we're trying to cut down JavaScript, hey, we're moving to considering doing multi-page apps, instantly people's heads kind of go back to how it was, even Rails for that matter, right? And I don't think 
it means going back to that mentality. But that's that's where this is kind of coming from, where, you know, we're seeing static generators, which keep things simply, but I, this is going to extend it to dynamic sites to get those same advantages. That's why, you know, Rails is coming up in the conversation here. I think what we're going to see is JavaScript frameworks fill in that gap. See, because JavaScript, because it's the framework of the browser, you know, or language of the browser, you could argue that... Uh, WebAssembly offers some options here, but because JavaScript is the language of the browser, it's really the one of the best ways or only ways to develop your app as a single app experience and have it work server and client seamlessly. And that's that's why I think the difference this time. Right now, the argument's too much on like, oh, is Rails, you know, like or like it's classic MPA versus single page app. But the real answer is probably somewhere in the middle. It's cool to see things starting to occupy that space, even if it's just on the static side. The, on the downside, I said a lot of complexity because now you suddenly have to know, okay, what's ISR, what's SSG, what's SSR? You know, there's so many different options here. I, I saw a recent talk from Rich on SvelteKit, which is doing a lot of like different modes for rendering even. And you, you, even then you're like, okay, how do I want to serve my page? Is it static? Is it static? Right. Like there's a lot of complexity in terms of figuring out how to approach this and more options. So for those who are kind of going, okay, you know, JavaScript fatigue, we're kind of settled in now. I still feel the SSR has a lot of movement, which is where we're kind of heading and where we're, we've been at the last couple of years. I mean, the writing's kind of on the wall. This isn't future talking. This is stuff that's been in works for the last couple of years. That's what React Team has been doing for, you know, two or three years. This is, you know, Svelte's been going on for over a year now. Like, you, you know, this is what people are working on. And we just have to figure out a better way to deliver it to end users. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. This was a mind-bending episode for me and hopefully for our listeners. I really appreciate you getting out and communicating these kind of ideas because this is not simple stuff, but it's consequential and it gets into really the guts of what we do day to day and how the tools we use actually work. So I think it's really important that web developers understand this stuff and don't just think like, oh, this is just, you know, the new hotness, another JavaScript framework. Oh, wow. like, I don't think that's what's going on here at all. I think there is actually really important work happening here. So really glad to get you on and give you a chance to showcase this. So why don't you let our listeners know just where they can get in contact with you, where they can learn more about Solid and where are some good links that they can direct themselves to to learn more. Thankfully, we now have our homepage now. Uh, SolidJS.com basically has everything linked up, whether it's the GitHub, the Discord. I strongly re recommend going, checking us out on Discord. That's where our community lives. Discord is great. I'm also on Twitter as at Ryan Carniato and also at Solid underscore JS on Twitter. But again, that's all linked off of the website, which has guides and docs and articles and tutorials heavily influenced by Svelte. A lot of great resources there and your um, gateway into the community, so to speak. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.